Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. This is a transformative time for Black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I dot com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Why am I so miserable? What am I born to do? And why am I here? And that's when writing and speaking came to me. I didn't know what I was going to write and speak about, but that's when it came to me. And that began my comeback in terms of I want to be more positive. My wife wanted me to go on medication. All right, everybody, welcome back to Comeback Stories. We're here again with another episode. Today, we have John Gordon, one of my favorite people that I follow on social media. He's got a ton of books out there, and it's a gift and a blessing to have you on our show today, my man. Hey, great to be with you guys. I love the title of your podcast. It's, it's really awesome. I think of that song, Don't Call It a Comeback, when I hear it. Yes, sir. Well, side note, Darren does music also. In fact, he had a video that just came out yesterday, but he also wrote the theme song. So the intro into this podcast, which if you're listening, you just heard, that's Darren. Darren wrote and pursued it. The song is called Came Back. And yeah, I just did a little workout to it actually to get me hyped up for this. (laughs) Man, I love that. That is awesome. So yeah, but we're excited, man. Thank you. Thank you for making space and time to be here with us today. And On the show, we just get right into it and we want to hear your story. So we always start with, can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up for you? So I grew up in Long Island, New York in a a Jewish Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, a lot of wine, a lot of whining, Uh, not a very positive household, uh, very middle class, lower middle class. My dad was actually a New York City police officer, undercover narcotics. So he was not a very positive person. My biological father who left when I was a year old, he was a psychotherapist. 
And so we didn't really have a great relationship. Saw him on weekends at times. So I grew up with this one father who was like, you know, reason and, and talk things out, express your feelings. And then I had this other dad who was just like, get the first shot in, you know, when you're in a fight, make sure you, you hit first. And so I grew up with a very different environment than I think a lot of people and grew up playing a ton of sports, football, played baseball, basketball. So I played all these different sports growing up and uh, had a tough neighborhood too, in a way. I mean, even though, you know, like my neighbors next door to me were, were tough. So we fight a lot. Like we had fights all the time in our neighborhood growing up. So grew up in that way. So you always felt like you were battling for survival in a lot of ways. It was like the movie Lord of the Flies, like that a little bit, because we would be on our own and we were always outside and doing stuff. So that's what it was like. But I would say it was a great childhood in many ways and had a lot of great experiences. And then winded up going to play lacrosse at Cornell University. I was either going to play football at Lehigh or Yale or schools like that, but chose to go play lacrosse at Cornell. thought it was a great opportunity and wind up going there to play lacrosse. We were like ninth in the country my sophomore year. Had a great experience there. Learned a lot about culture, leadership, teamwork. Almost quit lacrosse in ninth grade. I went out for the team because the coach told me I should try it. I, I never played before. Couldn't even throw and catch. It was an awkward sport for me and try to quit. And he goes, you're not quitting. He said, one day you're going to play in college. One day you're going to play in the Ivy League. I didn't even know what the Ivy League was. I mean, I had no idea. But he told me that and I stayed with it and he changed my life. I called my college coach the other day who's 84 years old now. His name is Richie Moran. The Hall of Fame is named after him. And so he's an amazing human being. And I called him up and I said, coach, you know, happy birthday. It was his 84th birthday. And we started talking. He said, John, remember, teammates are forever. And that really stuck with me. And I also said to him, so are coaches who change your life forever. So I love what you guys are doing. I just love what this is all about. And, and for me, that's why I think I love investing and speaking to coaches, teams, talk about teamwork, because I know how important it is. I know how it changes our life. Mm. How did you handle the transition from when lacrosse one day ended for you? Well, for me, it wasn't um, that big of a deal because I didn't always absolutely love the sport. Like basketball, really my favorite sport. And I still, I got a hoop out of my front yard. And so like during quarantine of COVID this year, I was out there working on my game every day. I'm like, all right, I'm home. I'm usually on the road all the time. I'm going to start working on my game. So I'm working at my jump shot. I'm working at my layups again. Like my neighbors are probably like, <laughs> like, look, this guy's out there working on his basketball game. But that's what I was doing. So I always loved basketball. So for me, it wasn't a, a tough transition. My toughest transition, my comeback was when my wife almost left me when I was 31 years old. So here I am, 31. I had been in the bar business, restaurant business that I open up some more restaurants, they fail. And then I wind up getting in the dot-com. I ran for city council of Atlanta, by the way, walked door to door to 7,000 houses, lost the election, but I came pretty close to winning. Experienced a lot of negativity I, in politics. It's crazy. Like I'm 26 years old running for city council and saw what it's really like because I had no baggage, but they made it seem like I was a horrible person. I was 26. What did I do in the past? Nothing. And so I lose that election. I go to law school. I drop out after a year and a half of law school. I go work for this dot-com, think I'm going to make my gazillions, lose my job during the dot-com crash. So here I am, 31 years old, You know, don't know what the future holds. feels like everything has, has fallen apart. And I'm taken out of my wife in terms of just being negative and miserable and blaming her for why my life is so bad. And she literally said, I'm out of here. I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to change. That's it. And I begged her to stay. 
I agreed to change. And that began my journey. So I was dealing with depression. I was dealing with anxiety. I was dealing with a lot of stress. I was being beaten down by the circumstances of life. And I didn't turn to a, you know addiction, so to speak, in terms of a, of a substance. But I would say my addiction probably was trying to work hard. My addiction was trying to prove myself. Validity in terms of, of, of being someone who's successful and can make it. And the more I would try to chase that, the more miserable I was. And so her leaving and all of that happening made me question, okay, why am I so miserable? What am I born to do? And why am I here? And that's when writing and speaking came to me. I didn't know what I was going to write and speak about, but that's when it came to me. And that began my comeback in terms of, I want to be more positive. My wife wanted me to go on medication. I said, no, no, give me a chance. Let me try to do it this way. I started to take walks of gratitude every day. I started to pray on those walks. The research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. I read this research, so I was like, okay, I'm going to start walking, practicing gratitude every day. And I would just literally walk and say what I was thankful for. And as I started doing that, next thing you know, like all these great thoughts started coming in. And then I started praying. And at that time, I started practicing meditation. I started reading a lot of books on Buddhism and started doing a lot of meditation. I know you're really big into mindfulness. I was doing a lot of that. And that really helped me be still, helped me calm. It, it didn't work wonders for me, but it definitely helped me just start to get out of the rut that I was in and also out of those anxiety-producing thoughts that I was having a lot of. So it was definitely a big part of my journey. It's amazing. Looking back, a couple things you said that I wanted to unpack. First one was, I want to just thank you for bringing up the idea of you being not addicted to drugs, but addicted to work. and. Comeback Stories is not just, I mean, me and Darren are both sober and we're public about our sobriety, but our guests are not just going to be people in recovery. And I've gotten backlash sometimes for saying that we're all addicted to something. It kind of sounds like a blanket statement, but I think if we were all to get really honest with ourselves at some point, we have been. I mean, smartphones in general, you know, you can just look at that, but I'm, I'm really glad that you said that. And that theme has been coming up on our podcast in interviews with, our guests that aren't sober or aren't working, they're not in recovery. So I'm glad that you said that. And then just going back to leading up to when your wife almost left you, one of the things you said in the beginning was in your household growing up, it was a lot of food and guilt. But how do you think the guilt part of it, you know, it's all connected, right? So how do you think that kind of led you to that point where your wife was about to leave you? I think your past is a part of who you are. But I also think as human beings, we have a soul and I think our soul just has wounds and each person has different wounds. So mine was my biological father leaving. That was more of my issue and the abandonment issue of you're not worthy. You're not wanted. I would later find out he wanted me to be an abortion. And so here was a guy who really didn't want me to be alive in, in many ways and even told me that, which was a weird thing when I was older. And my mom said over my dead body, because she never told me that. But then when I told her what he said, he said, yeah, you know, I told them there's no way, but they were going through a tumultuous time, right? So they really shouldn't have been married. They were young. My mom was 18 or 19 when they got married and he was a narcissist and still is. And so they were clueless in many ways. So with that came forgiveness over time. And that changed my life. I actually went up to see him and forgave him for not being a great father and for not being a great man 
to me and and not being there for me. So I forgave him, brought my daughter with me. And that was a life-changing moment. I let, let go of the past, whew, let it go. And after that is when I really started to write. It was like I had to let go of the old to create the new. So forgiveness was a big part of that. So the guilt is more of a joking, but my mom was Jewish. So there was a lot of guilt and a lot of negativity, but I always felt her love. Like she would have taken a bullet for me. She died at 59 when I was 35 years old. So, you know, miss it terribly, but there was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of battle. But so for me, my issue was recognition. Like, okay, I got to succeed as an athlete. I got to succeed as a person to be recognized, to be loved. And that's the wound that we have. So when you said earlier that we're all addicted to something, what that means is we all have a wound in our soul. And if you don't fill up that wound with God, a, a spiritual force, if you don't fill it up with that oneness, what's going to happen is you're going to try to fill up that wound with other things. And everyone puts different things in those wounds. And over time, it's called constraint theory. The constraint theory is there's a level that you reach and you will never rise above the level of your constraint. And that constraint is a wound that will also sabotage you and destroy you if you don't heal it. And so I think it's a spiritual battle where there's forces that want to sabotage us, infect the wound. There's evil. I really believe there's a battle of good versus evil going on. And there's these forces of God that has a plan for us, a destiny for us to heal that wound, to then become all that we're meant to be. So once you heal it, you then rise to another level above your constraint to become who you're meant to be. And you can see everyone go on this journey. Darren, I'm saying this, hopefully it's resonating with you. Like, yeah, you had this constraint, you had to heal it. And now it's taking you to a whole new level in your career. It's an honor to be on this podcast with you guys because I've been following you. I've, I've known your story. I was inspired by your story. I'm like, I love that. That guy's, you know, the way he came back, what he's doing now. And it's a story of wholeness. It's a story of moving past our wound, healing our wound, and then rising up to become who we are truly meant to be. So that's why I think we're all addicted to something because we're trying to fill up whatever that hole is. There's a hole that only God could fill. And if you try to fill it with something else, it's not going to work. That's why every addiction program includes a higher power because we're not strong enough on our own. We need a greater power. We need a greater strength to fill up the wound, to fill up the hole, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And all these things that come to us, all this positive information that's come to you, I feel like it comes first with acceptance, uh, of acceptance where you're at, accepting your reality, your role and everything. And I love how you got right into your uh, greatest moment of adversity off the bat. But as far as bouncing back from that, what were some of the first action steps that you took to change from being that guy that treated your wife that way or the guy that had to be the workaholic? What were some of those first action steps to put you on a path of purpose and on a path of repairing that relationship? Yeah, that's a great question. So I did those walks of gratitude and prayers, I said, so that was one. Meditation was another. Really getting clear on my purpose. And I would say the biggest one was, how can I serve others? Get out of your way, get out of yourself. And how can I make a difference and serve others? So my life really became about, I want to make a difference. Up to that point, it was all about satisfying my ego, trying to be someone of success and significance. And I realized that when you make others more important than yourself, you make them significant, then you become a person of significance when you make others significant. And so, never said that before, but that's what I realized. And so it was about really uh, making my life about serving others, making a difference, impacting others. And I would wake up every day and I would say, God, use me. Use me for your purpose. 
guide me towards my purpose. Have me do what you want me to do. Have me be what you want me to be. Have me help all the people you want me to help. Make me an instrument of your peace, your joy, your love, your passion, and your purpose, and your service. And it was amazing how I started writing books in three and a half weeks, right? I started getting these ideas. People started to email me as I started writing this weekly newsletter. I would send out a positive tip of the week. In 2002, I started this weekly positive tip that I would send out. There were no blogs, social media, Twitter, Instagram, nothing at the time, no Facebook. It was basically an email newsletter and very early on in its infancy, no one was really doing it. And I started sending out this newsletter every week of encouragement, of a positive tip a week. And I did this out of service. It was amazing how many people started signing up for it, getting it. Next thing you know, people were asking me to come speak at their event. And it was just an incredible thing, but I wasn't doing it for that. I was doing it to serve. And yet it came back to me tenfold in so many other ways. A lot of things I wrote about eventually became book ideas because I would write about a newsletter. So once I made my life about others and helped others improve, I improved. When I helped others grow, I grew. Ironically, the greatest self-growth strategy of all is to help others grow. When you're focused on yourself, you don't really grow that much. I know we have to do the self-work, right? We talk about that. But what I have found is when you become a, a conduit for a greater purpose that wants to move through you, you open yourself up to the wisdom and the knowledge and the ideas that take you to a whole other level when you become a person of purpose that wants to make a difference in the lives of others. Absolutely. I love how you started on that journey without uh, real like results in mind. I mean, of course, you probably had visions of being a, a best-selling author or being successful, but at that time, those things weren't prevalent. And all you could do was write those newsletters or come up with the next idea and weren't receiving the praise that you receive now, but that wasn't what was driving you. And I feel like a lot of people need that in order to push forward on their journey or to bounce back. They need that pat on the back, but you really got grounded in your purpose. And I love that about you. So take us through what writing and things have done for you. Like what, what are some of the books that you've written? How successful have you been? Take us through your comeback. That's such a brilliant insight that you just shared because, you know, I wasn't successful right away. And when the energy bus was written, that was my big book. It got rejected by 30 publishers. Mm. And so it finally gets accepted by John Wally and Sons. It comes out. I prayed for it to be a bestseller. It came out, it was a bestseller in Korea. <laughs> I, I learned you have to be specific with your prayers. No joke. It's a huge hit in South Korea. No one can explain why. And now one bookstore in the United States would carry the book. So I'm now frustrated. I have this book that I believe can make a difference. I wrote it, thought it was encouraging. I didn't know it was going to do what it's done, but I thought it was a cute story and I thought it could impact people. Well, I decided to go on a 28 city tour, paid for myself. Publisher wouldn't even pay for it. And that was where I really learned about service because I'm going from city to city, sharing the message in the book. I've got a little like energy bus that I'm driving around, a, a vehicle that's wrapped like a bus and I'm going from city to city. And we got five people in one city. We got 10 people in another, 20 in another. The most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up, the race car driver. <laughs> and and, and that's, that's not a joke. That's actually a true story. Like it was a packed house and people were calling me Jeff. And I got home and I didn't know what the future held, but I knew that I had this mission and vision. And here was my mission and vision. Encourage and inspire as many people as possible, one person at a time. 
So even when those five people were there at my event, and literally there were just five, I was talking to each one of those people, making a difference. That is where God was molding and shaping me during that time. John, is this real? Are you really here to do the work? Or is it about the limelight? Is it about being famous? Is it about being successful? Or is it about making a difference? And it was real. And it still is to this day. When COVID hit and all my events were being canceled and I was losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in speaking and events, I got back to that mission and vision. Encourage everyone and anyone I can. And I reached out to clients. People reached out to me. And that's what I started doing. Boom, boom, boom. Man, I can't tell you how many calls I had, how many great encouraging conversations I had, how many talks I've given, over 280 talks since last March and Zooms. The Seattle Seahawks called, don't get mad at me for that, but they reached out out of the blue. And so I I Zoomed with the team and spoke to the team. And I'd worked with the Rams the last number of years and the Dodgers and Miami Heat and all these different teams, but never worked with the Seahawks before. And they just reached out. But that came from just doing the work and making a difference and, and getting back to that. So that is always what's driven me. And I went back to that rookie mindset, right? The rookie mindset when I first started and I was going on that tour. Here I am, 50 years old. I've written 23 books, 10 bestsellers. The books have sold over 5 million copies worldwide. And I'm still focused on this vision and mission, but I know it's only because early on, I didn't have success right away. Early on, I was taken on this journey to mold and shape me on these tours. And anyone who joins me now in my work, on my team, like to speak and consult, they've got to do the work. Like no one gets success right away. I tell them, do free talks. You know, go help this person here. Go help these people. Because you've got to learn that it's about the work. Because everyone thinks, oh, I want to be a writer and speaker. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to speak, I'm going to get the big stage, I'm going to be famous, and it's going to be like that. And for some, maybe that happens. And as you know, in sports, if that happens to you right away, you don't have humility. And a lot of times that could really hurt you if you don't have humility. And so I believe that I went through what I went through to to give me the humility I needed. So yeah, I never thought I would sell 5 million books. I honestly, it was never a goal to sell how many books. And I think I told my dad, like, I'd love to sell a million books one day. I might've said something like that, but it wasn't like that was a goal. When I started, it wasn't about making a lot of money. I never thought I would make what I've made doing this work. I've given a ton away too. I've given more than I ever thought I would make actually to a lot of different charities and missions and homeless shelters and you name it. My wife and I support a lot. It's been a great journey. But again, I go back to what's your intention? Where's your heart? And where's your focus? So what is your intention? Where's your heart? Where's your focus? And for me, I knew I was doing this for the right reasons, but I was shaped and molded early on. I always try to remind myself and I share this, but anything I share is just the stuff I'm working on myself anyways. But yeah. what am I chasing and why am I chasing it? Which is really just intention, like you, like you said. But that's my kind of pattern interrupt sometimes or to check in to see what is my intention here? What is my truest intention? That's a great question because you have to really get clear on that because it could be your ego wanting to chase something. I don't want to chase things. And people say, well, then you're not going after something. No, no. I don't want to chase something for my ego. I want to go after it if it's part of the bigger purpose to do what I'm here to do. So my prayer is often, God, show me what I'm here to do. Like, I'm an idiot. So help it be idiot proof. <laughs> Make it so clear to me. Show me the signs that I know what I'm supposed to do. I started a cookie business, a positive cookie about two years ago with some people and it failed miserably. And I became very clear on the fact that I was not put on earth to to do this cookie. 
even though it was an encouraging cookie, like every cookie came with an encouraging quote. Someone wants to take the idea, go for it. But I became very clear that this was not part of my purpose and I wasn't here to do that. I thought it was a great business to make a lot of money. So after that, I got even more passionate and focused on leadership training, developing leaders around the world. We have this Power of Positive Leadership for Teens program, doing it with teens. We're doing it with company leaders all over the country, school leaders. We have positive schools that we're actually coming out with to impact schools. We're already in all these hundreds and thousands of schools right now, but we're going to have a more formal program and our training, our consulting is growing. So I'm like, that became a big focus for me after the cookie because I go, why am I here? What do I really want to do? At the end of the day, when I look back on my life, right? When I'm at the end, what did I want to accomplish? You got to be very clear. Covey talks about that in the seven habits. Live with the end in mind. So what is the end? What does it look like? What did you accomplish? Once you know how you want to be remembered, that helps you decide how to live today. So knowing how you want to be remembered helps you decide how to live today. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And I think about that all the time because that really drives every decision I make. Do I really want to work on this? Is this going to matter 10 years from now, 20 years from now? What do I really want to do? What am I here to focus on? I know I want to make training camp, my book training camp, but do a movie. That is something I would love to do to make that into a movie, but I don't want to chase it. So if it's meant to happen, it will happen. But I know I want to make it into a movie too for the right reasons, not to make a lot of money. I want to encourage people with the story of Martin Jones, who has to overcome his fear, find his faith to be all that he's meant to be. So like you, what's intention? Why am I chasing that? I love that you say that because that is really great advice for everyone. Mm. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. There's so much you said already. A couple of <laughs> things you want to maybe bring back and touch on this not enough story as a coach or as a human myself and just coaching all walks of life, whether it's the athlete or it's the 70-year-old retired female, that not enough story is in 99.8% of the clients I've ever worked with or anybody that I've ever talked to. And that not enough story, whether it comes from abandonment, whether it comes from something somebody said to us, whether it was a, a parent, a teacher, a friend, or if it was just something that happened in elementary school one day when you tried to go with the cool crowd and they didn't accept you, like that one legit wound can ultimately hijack your whole life. And we talk about, I mean, this is comeback stories and we talk about the only story that matters is the one you tell yourself. So mm. if you're telling yourself that you're not enough, then you will go chase and seek it externally from the outside, which ultimately, if we do that, it never ends well until it gets so bad. Or like for me and Darren, where it spirals into an addiction and life gets so bad that we finally, like you talked about, surrender or accept. And we know in recovery, acceptance is the answer to all of our problems, where doesn't mean we have to like it. Acceptance does not mean we need to like it. It doesn't mean what somebody did to us was wrong but we do have to accept it to move forward. And you talked about forgiveness and we learn in recovery that forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's actually for you to lay down another burden, to be able to let go of the guilt and the shame that's been weighing us down. So a lot of what I impact in what you said with the amazing fire that you brought so far, it's within us. Our purpose, God, everything, love is within us. And the work is to chip away each day at the stuff that gets in the way of us thriving and really just living in God's will. That's so cool. You just said not enough. 
And right before you said that, I thought we should probably talk about unworthiness that people don't feel worthy. So I literally thought that. And then you said not enough. And now we're going that direction. There are no accidents. It's really cool because so many people suffer and struggle with this, the imposter syndrome, not feeling enough, feeling unworthy. Who am I to deserve this? Why should I be here? Should I have this success? But here's the thing. People say, oh, they're afraid of success. They're afraid of success. That is not true. That's a load of you know what. People aren't afraid of success. They don't feel like they deserve success because they don't feel worthy that they should deserve it. And why not? Yes, there were things in the course of our life that may have happened, but it's so much deeper and bigger than that. I wrote about this in the garden. And again, it is a spiritual thing. And everyone has this experience because it's a universal experience of separation and wholeness, feeling separate. The word anxious literally means divided at its Greek root word. And so when you're anxious, you feel divided. You feel separate from your power source. You feel separate from your creator. You feel separate from the oneness that you're meant to experience. And if you go back to, to unworthiness, you can really unpack it in the fact that we get attacked in the place of our identity. So our identity of, of who we are. And we forget who we are. We forget the power that we have. We forget the greatness that I believe God has put inside of us. We often have doubt and fear and these feelings of unworthiness and these thoughts of unworthiness. But you have to ask yourself this question. Do your negative thoughts come from you? I ask professional athletes this all the time when I'm speaking to a team. Do your negative thoughts come from you? And they'll go, yeah, yeah, of course. They're, they're in my head. My next question is this, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you ever choose a negative thought? Would you choose a thought of unworthiness? Would you ever choose for yourself to say, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. You wouldn't choose those. So where's it coming from? Well, thoughts are always coming in from consciousness. When you're sleeping and dreaming and having a nightmare, did you choose the thought? Did you choose the dream? Did you choose the nightmare? No, it's coming in. Ideas come in all the time. And thoughts come in all the time that say, you're not enough. You don't deserve this. You're going to fail. The future is hopeless. And those negative thoughts discourage. I call them distortions because they're not true. They're lies. And then they discourage you. They distract you. And they divide you. They separate you. And so we have to understand we're getting attacked in the place of our identity of who we are by those thoughts saying you're not enough, you're not worthy. So what's happening is we're believing the lies that they tell. It's not that you are saying those lies initially. They come in. It happens so fast. You think it's from you, so you believe it. You then reinforce it. And then you feel guilt and shame for having those thoughts in the first place. And you have to recognize that you would never choose those thoughts for yourself. So I tell people all the time, don't believe the lies. Instead, speak truth to the lies. And the truth is, you're here to do great things. The truth is, Deep down, we all want to do something great. Everyone does. If I ask Darren right now, you want to do great things? You're going to say yes, right, Darren? Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone wants to do great things. Deep down, we all do. I never had anyone say I want to be average. But what happens is we have these voices in our head that say you're not great. So we want to do great things and the voices say you're not great. You're not enough. And herein lies the battle. And the reason why you want to do great things, because God put greatness within you. You were made in the likeness and image of God. And once you know that there's greatness in you, it's already in you. That desire is there to do something great. And so you got to listen to that desire. You got to remember who you truly are 
with the power to create your future that you were imagined to imagine, created to create, the power to change the world. And once you understand that and you start speaking that all the time to yourself, instead of listening to the negative voices and the negative thoughts and the fear and the doubt, and you start speaking that, then you start walking in that truth and that power. And that's been a teaching I've been sharing a lot lately, ever since I wrote The Garden, which came out during the pandemic of this year. I wrote this book literally from December 25th to January 8th, having no idea a pandemic was coming. And the book is a spiritual fable about overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety, not knowing that so many people are going to be dealing with this. And I share the five Ds that on a spiritual battle that we're facing and how we have to overcome those five Ds. And they are doubt, distortion, discouragement, distraction, and division. Distractions are the enemy of greatness. Social media, the media in general, spewing a lot of fear, negativity, lies that we're not going to get through this. And the truth is trust. Then there's speak truth to the lies, encourage instead of discourage, focus on what matters most, and unite instead of divide. And the key is to unite to self. And so people do meditation to unite to self. People do yoga to unite to self, right? Unite to self. Spend more time uniting and then uniting spiritually with, I would say, the creator of the universe. And for me, prayer is how I, I used to meditate, now I pray a lot. And so for me, prayer is how I unite. But it's all part of the journey. And the key is to uniting, becoming oneness, becoming whole. And that is really what's going on. So that's why I want to talk about this. I'm glad you brought it up in terms of not enough. You never said not enough to yourself. You believed not enough when it came in. And you have to recognize, because deep down, you know that you are enough. You know that there's power and you have to tap into that. Am I making sense? Yeah. I love unite with yourself. One of the, the best definition of success I think I ever heard was success is doing what you love and loving how you do it. Hmm. Uh, and with that, it's like, okay, success doesn't have to be attached to my performance because I can prepare for my performance the best of my ability and have all the right intentions, but the outcomes and the results aren't always in my control. So if I attach my identity to performance, I'm putting myself in the hands of others' judgment. I'm putting myself in the hands of things that I can't readily control inside me. So success can be detached from that. And that unite with yourself thing really hit home with me because it took me, you know, 26 years to get to that point and see things from that perspective. That's awesome. It took me 32 years to figure it out. So you're way ahead of the game from where I was, which is awesome. Yeah. When you just said, yeah, unite to yourself and identity and performance, that's the biggest problem with, you know, say a businessman or a businesswoman or a young female athlete who's going out there to perform and she's tying her self-worth to her performance, not her identity of who she truly is. If you remember you are a child of God and you were created for a reason, there's a purpose for your life. And ultimately, the source of who you are is love. That's all you need to focus on. Don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about the performance. You just be who you are and do your best. And once you do that and you can live that way and perform that way, there's so much freedom to that. But if your performance is tied to your identity and if you don't perform well, well, then every day your identity is being determined by how well you do. So then it's a matter of life and death every single time. And there's no freedom in that. There's fear in that. There's no freedom. And fear will drain you and freedom will give you life and energize you. And so you want to play free. You want to play with that freedom. You want to perform. If you're a musician, you out there and you perform. I always say perform for an audience of one, not for all those people, 
an audience of one. And that is where the power is. But identity and performance is a huge thing. But again, deeper, it goes to that initial part of who we are at our soul level. At our soul level, there's a battle going on for our soul. It's why Harry Potter is a battle of good versus evil. Black Panther, a battle of good versus evil. Superman, good versus evil. Star Wars, good versus evil. Every major epic movie is a battle of good versus evil. Why? Because we resonate with it, because deep down in our soul, that is the battle we face. It's the narrative of the universe, overcoming, it's the duality, right? At, at, at God's level, at the spiritual level, there is no good and evil. At the deeper level, at the soul level, it's higher than that, it's greater. But at this core existence, right? How do you rise above? You understand what's happening, right? You understand what's happening on this earthly plane and how to overcome. And it's a spiritual battle in a human journey that we're on. But we really are spiritual beings on a human journey. And once you understand that, you can rise higher so you don't take on the evil and you don't allow that to bring you down. But you have to understand that's the battle going on. And so the evil is always going to say, you're not enough. You're not a child's God. You don't have that power. You can't do that. Your future is hopeless. And it's always going to try to accuse you and attack you in your identity. So if you're an athlete and you're trying to perform at a high level and that's how you've gotten your recognition, or for me, after being an athlete, getting my recognition to perform for my wife, to have success, to make money for the family, and I tie myself worth to all those outside forces, well, guess what? I'm going to constantly be attacked in that place because that's where my wound is. And so you get attacked in the place of your wound, but once you heal the wound and you know this truth, what we're talking about, now you walk with wholeness and power to then why? To heal all the others who actually have wounds, which is what you guys are doing. And that's, man, I mean, that is- We just went wow. deep, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's deep, but it's-, it's Gotta go deep. Yeah, it, this is why we're doing this. And throughout the last season, I've been working with Darren- Every week when we're in person, we would do yoga, but mostly this has been coaching and mindset coaching, but really it's just soul work when it all comes down to it. And he already has the foundation of recovery, but to watch him this year shine the way he did in a completely empty stadium, other than three games, I think they played, but all their home games were empty. And somebody had asked him a couple of days ago, what was it like? And he said, peaceful. And to me, that is a direct reflection on his work to not have to rely on outside people, circumstances like he enjoyed it. He didn't need the outside, the noise. Yeah, that's great. But um, a lot of people struggled with that. And for his answer to be peaceful tells me like he has changed his story of the not enough story, which is another reason why we launched this podcast, because a lot of people think, Somebody like him is enough and he thinks he is enough, but we're human beings. And just because what you see on the field, I mean, we still are humans with wounds and stories. So it's really cool to see it all come together and talking about how the only story that matters is the one we tell ourselves. Just because we were doing something one way our whole lives, so we don't have to keep doing it that way. You can change, you can change your story. I love yeah. that because I always say we're living a movie. We are living a movie. We are telling ourselves a story. What kind of story are you telling yourself? And we're so in sync with that because if we allow someone else to define our story, we're giving away our power. If we truly understand 
our story and the role we want to play in that story, then you can create an amazing story. I always say, if you're coaching someone, you have to know the story they're telling themselves so that you can help them tell a better story. That's what you do, right? Donnie, you help people tell better stories. So I always say, are you living a drama? Is it a documentary? Is it a thriller? Or is it a horror story? Or is it an inspirational tale? The victim and the hero both get knocked down. The victim stays down and stays a victim. The hero gets back up and armed with belief, passion, purpose, and optimism, moves forward to create a positive future. And so who you are in, in that story and the role you play is everything. When you talked about Darren and, and the piece he had, you know, when you were watching the NBA bubble last year as they were playing in the playoffs, you can see who was extrinsically motivated, who was intrinsically motivated. You could tell who was going to perform well by knowing their personality and their psyche. And by the way, psyche means soul. And so it was really never supposed to be about the brain, psychology. It's really about the soul. So often our minds don't need fixing. Our souls need healing. Hmm. As we heal the soul, the mind starts to work a whole lot better. That was for me. I healed my soul. My depression went away and everything went away when I healed my soul. I had depression, anxiety. I was a mess, <laughs> you know? Then I heal my soul and people meet me now. They're like, you're so different than you are I am. I've changed completely, right? But you can tell who was affected by outside forces or who was playing from the power within. And football, same thing. And Darren, the cool thing is gonna be when you go back and there are crowds and stadium to just still play with that same mindset of, it's just all about the audience of one. It's about me and, and that piece. No matter what's happening outside you, it's always about, what happens inside of us. Absolutely. I want to shift real quick to give the listeners some encouragement, give them some words. What would you say to someone who was in a similar position as you? They knew what was holding them back from getting them to where they wanted to go, but they didn't know what to do next. What would you tell them to do? Best advice I ever heard is from Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons. That's a double Ironman, which means you do an Ironman, a day later, do another one. Last time he did it, he was 59 years old. He was asked how he did it. He said this, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen, I hear all the fear, all the negativity, all the doubt, all the reasons why I can't finish this race. But if I talk to myself, I can feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. So what I would have them do is write down on the left side of the piece of paper, all your negative thoughts that come in. We all have our own patterns. You know yours. Donnie, you know yours. I know mine. We have them. They come in. You write them down. On the right side of a piece of paper, you write down words of encouragement, truth that you would speak to those lies. And then you start practicing that on a daily basis. It's going to be awkward at first, but you start doing that on a daily basis. I would also say to take time as you guys are big on for stillness, for meditation, for prayer, to really get still and to start thinking about what is your purpose, what is your why, and where do you want to go? What is the way? So often once you know your why, you will know the way. But really getting clear on that is helpful. But in the beginning, just start talking to yourself in a, in a, in a different way to get yourself out of that rut. And then just take one small action step. Like we think it has to be a big action step we have to do to make a change. It's the simple little things that produce big results. I think that's why my books have been very successful because they're simple books with simple actional steps, but powerful lessons. 
And it's not cluttered with all this stuff, right? You don't have to read 300 pages. You read it, you get inspired, you take action, and then you see results. So to me, it's what are the small things you can do each day? For me, it's feeding that positive dog, gratitude, talking to myself, encouraging. And I just want to say, this is not about like Pollyanna positive, like ignoring the bad things going on in your life or the world. It's not about ignoring reality, but it's about maintaining optimism and belief and faith to create a better reality. I'm not saying sugarcoat the situation, but I am saying don't let negativity sour it. So what you want to do is make sure that you're feeding yourself each day so that way you can feed others. And another quick exercise is at the end of the day, go to bed and think about the success of the day. The one great thing that went right that day. I wrote about this in the energy bus. What's the one great thing that happened? So instead of going to bed thinking of all the things that went wrong, who wronged you, who didn't do this, what's the one great conversation, the one great action, the one great relationship that you had that day? And every day you go to bed like that, you're going to wake up feeling good looking forward to creating that again. It will change your paradigm. What you look for, you will find. How we see the world determines the world that we see. Wow. I think we'll mic drop that and bring this Comeback Stories episode to a close. Real quick though, where can people find you? They can find me at johngordon.com, J-O-N, gordon.com, or Twitter, Instagram, at J-O-N, gordon11. And yeah, I can't wait to tell people about this podcast you guys are doing, such a great idea, comeback stories. We all, I believe, yeah, have a comeback because no one has a perfect journey. We all have a twisted, challenging road along the way. And so everyone has a setback, everyone has a challenge. And so the redemption, the restoration, the ability to create your future by not looking into the past is a story that everyone needs to talk about and live. And you guys are doing that. I just love it. I think it's so powerful. I'm a fan. Thank you, brother. We're huge fans. It's a blessing to have you on, to be speaking face to face. And I know I'm inspired right now. And I know our listeners are going to really enjoy the fire that you bring. So keep shining bright, my man. I appreciate it, Donnie. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you. This is what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit. But every king's gonna get crowned Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of MagicalNegroesFilm.com to get tickets now. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.